I'm Sasha Sagan, and this is Strange Customs. Okay, this one is wild. Where to even begin? So the creatures, they have very elaborate belief systems uh, with characters whose existence is not evidence-based, but who are profoundly important to them. The beliefs ebb and flow over time, compete and fall out of favor. One belief system that happens to be the most popular right now involves tangentially a character who appears annually around the time of one of the solstices. He's relatively new compared to some of the other characters. Only the younger members of this belief system have real confidence in his existence. They believe he keeps a record of their actions and rewards or punishes them with material goods. He doesn't abide by the local physical laws of the planet. But once a year, he arrives by night, utilizing eight members of another species from the planet, entering their shelter via a rudimentary climate control apparatus. And they leave sustenance for him in exchange. The young creatures believe he is real due to a vast conspiracy on the part of the older creatures, complete with falsified physical evidence. And they all seem to be delighted by this. So there's a very popular holiday that I think you grew up with, but I didn't. Today, I get to talk to my friend, Nicole Ritchie, who's one of the most hilarious people I know, besides being an actor and a television personality and a designer. Can you imagine I am like from another planet and you are telling (laughs) me about December 25th on Earth? Like, how would you describe it? What is it? What is Christmas? It's just magical. It's this magical, beautiful holiday that is full of snowflakes, even though I live in California, um, <laughs> and, and just like all of the dreamy childhood pure things. For you, is it pretty separated from the religious birth of Christ element of it? And like when you were a kid, was there ever a religious element or has it always been sort of the seasonal celebration beauty um, in the winter? For me personally, it has truly been about the beauty. I am drawn to the 1963 Coca-Cola era <laughs> Santa Claus, like the super rosy cheeks. Like I, just as far as visually, that's what I'm the most drawn to. My husband, as you know, grew up uh, very Christian. And to him, it's about the nativity and he's connected to the biblical story. Um, I am connected to the beauty, the traditions, the sense of feeling that that is around it. So specifically the guy who comes down the chimney, can we talk about him? Because I did not, so I didn't, yes. I didn't grow up with Christmas. Good old S. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't grow up with Christmas because 
I, we didn't, weren't religious, but also because we were Jewish and it just was like a not a uh, thing. And now I'm married to a person who very much grew up with Christmas, but I always feel like I'm like on the outside looking in. And now we have kids and there's this guy, this phenomenon of this fellow who's supposed to come down the chimney. And it's amazing because I have not perpetuated this story to Helena, but she knows all about Santa Claus. It's in the ether. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, I think in the same way that whether you are connected to Christianity or not, I think the reason why people grasp on is the actual story. It's a beautiful story. Christmas is powerful and it's beautiful. And I think, you know, and it hits you really when you're a kid. I don't know about being introduced to Christmas as an adult. I would imagine that that would probably be a little bit different. You're like, what? Some <laughs> some old white guy with red cheeks is going to like climb down our chimney in the middle of the night. That sounds really weird. I'm 41 now and it takes me back to my childhood. What do you remember like setting cookies out? Like what was the story for you as a child? And then what of that did you take for your kids when they were little? So every year after Thanksgiving, day after Thanksgiving, we would go and get a tree. That is what I did as a child. And that's what I do with my kids now. And we do not miss a year. And my kids now are 13 and almost 15. They didn't want to go this year. I was (laughs) devastated. It was the biggest fight. I was like, oh, we are going to get this tree. This is our tradition. We have to do this. And they were like, we have plans with our friends. We're on vacation. And I was like, no, we are absolutely getting this tree. They didn't want to go. They, you know, they were, they had the slumpy shoulders. Um, But then we got there and their attitudes changed. And Joel and I gave each other a little subtle high five, like, okay, we got there and we actually did it. But um, we get the tree, come home and it's the decorating of the tree is a very big tradition and definitely was when I was, when I was little. It was my parents me, it was, I, I think I was allowed to invite some friends. They had friends, but it was, you know, getting all of the ornaments out and putting them all over the tree. You listen to the music, drinking eggnog is a big, weird tradition that I am obsessed with. I don't even know if I like it, but I've just been drinking it since I was five years old and still drinking it now. Isn't that so, it's so funny. Actually, we were at a restaurant the other night and there was eggnog gelato. And I was like, I don't think I've ever even tasted it. I was like, is there alcohol in it? And my husband was like, no, I mean, there's, there can be, but there's not, it's just, I'm like, what is the flavor? I mean, the whole conceit of this podcast is how would you explain things to an alien? But like with Christmas, I really do feel like I'm an alien. But that question of like, do I like this? Or do I like the flavor of this? Do I like the look of this? Or is it just so ingrained in my mind, so braided up with joy? It's the association rather than the thing. It's such a deep question. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that it is the association, which I really love and I am fine to own because, you know, I feel like we've had conversations like this all the time. Association is to bring you back to that pure, that childhood version of yourself once a year is, I think, really important for our spirits. And so I'm okay with that. I'm okay with me not even knowing if I like eggnog (laughs) or not, but still drinking it because it's making me feel pure and young and full of joy. (laughs) 
so much of it is about winter, like the iconography of it. So much of all the winter solstice time holidays are about creating light when it's dark if you're far from the equator. And, you know, obviously in the southern hemisphere at the end of December, it's summertime. But, you know, because of imperialism, there's still, it's still Christmas there. Um, and you know, and, but so in Southern California where you live, like, do you feel like the experience is really different? Like, I don't know if you've spent a lot of Christmas times in cold places, but like how much do you feel like the story doesn't lend itself when the climate is warm? Well, okay. So I have not had the opportunity to spend Christmas in, let's say, a London or a New York where it's truly cold. Um, So I do think in California, it's something that you have to really create. Yeah. And that's possibly why my parents were a little more uh, aggressive about it. (laughs) It's cold. It's 60 degrees. But like, you know, it's not we don't have the snow outside. I'm in California, so I have to actually create it. Yeah. So, okay. So speaking of creating it, when your children were little at Santa Claus, like what, how did you create the illusion that there was a person coming into the house that wasn't really coming in the house? Like, like I hear all these stories about like making the notes in different handwriting and like leaving crumbs and like all these things. Like, how did you create this? I mean, it's like set design to give the illusion that someone had been there. It is like putting on a feature film. It is like creating a world. We do cookies, milk, writing, and then, I'm sorry, hold on. I'm just remembering something. I I remember the day that I found out that Santa wasn't real, and this was why. Tell me right now. I got the note every year, and I don't remember how old I was, but I read the letter, and I recognized my mom's handwriting, (gasps) and I was devastated. I can feel it in my body right now. I'm so, I think I'm mad at her. I, I I was like, oh my God, this whole thing was a lie. Um, so we'll have my brother-in-law do the writing. Yes. You know, when they started getting older, I was like, um, you know, I didn't want to, to do the writing. So we would have somebody else do the writing leave the note. I'm trying to think if I had really strong, uh, a really strong narrative around the fact that Santa was coming down the chimney. I don't think that we like talked about that so much, but just that he was coming. Yeah. He ate the cookies, drank the milk, wrote the letter. Um, and then all of the presents were, you know, under the tree surrounding the tree. Um, then as they got older, I started shifting the handwriting, as I said, and cut to now, I'm going to admit something to you. I told you before, my son is 13. My daughter's going to be 15 next month. I refuse to admit to these children that Santa Claus is not real. I refuse. (laughs) I love this so much. They're like, mom, I'm talking to you. I'm trying to have a conversation with you. Like, can we just, and I'm like, no, I don't, I, I, I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. And I stand behind my choice, and let me tell you yes, why. Yes, I can't wait. I love this. And I remember a point where my daughter said to me, like, will you tell me the truth? But I saw in her eyes that she didn't want to know. She did, but she didn't. And it was like, are you going to burst that bubble for me? 
but I but I actually don't want you to. And I could be I heard her words, but I also felt in my heart that I didn't just want to say no, that's not true. Like this is this is what it is. Um, and I actually don't believe that. Listen, I think that the idea of Santa Claus is very important. I think that to believe in something that's bigger than you, that you can't necessarily see or prove, something that's, you know, magical, is the spirit of Christmas. I personally have never seen him, but I believe. And so it's up to you to believe. And I still say that, which I know is like, is like the polar opposite, I, you know, to all the listeners. <laughs> Sasha's a very close friend of mine. We do this yes. all day long and all night long. Like, so, so I know that this is like, Sasha's like nails on the chalkboard. No, no, Sasha, no. But, but, um, but I'm like, you know, the spirit of Christmas is really all about believing and, you know, having that like, ooh, what's going to happen? Just the, just the, the magic of Christmas. And I, to this day, say the same thing. I'm like, I believe in Santa Claus. And I do. I don't necessarily believe that there is a white man with a white curly beard and rosy alcoholic juice that's coming <laughs> down my chimney. But uh, I do just believe in the spirit of Christmas and the magic and the joy around it. And so I'm going to keep that. But I did ask my kids, send me your Christmas list so we so I can send them to the North Pole. And they definitely gave me an eye roll. Yeah. They were like, mom. <laughs> so, okay, wait. So how old were you when you recognized your mom's handwriting? And how old was Kate when she asked you if, if, if Santa was really real? I don't remember, but I probably was, or I'm going to guess that I was around nine. Yeah. I would say it was probably the same for her. But don't you feel like, no, I'm, I shouldn't ask you because <laughs> no, I know the answer. Me, but me, I feel like <laughs> your mom should be the one to keep the spirit alive, to keep the joy alive, you know? to be like yes no I'm for joy and I'm for like magical (laughs) surprises I I hate joy that's the thing (laughs) I I mean that's where we part ways I just think children should be unhappy (laughs) and not receive anything (laughs) special at any time no okay wait so this is my question so do okay so we don't we have never done Santa Claus. Um, I think there's still a lot of holiday joy in our house. And we do do Christmas in my husband's family. And we do Hanukkah in a secular way. And we do the winter solstice. Which to me, as you know, Nicole, because we have had these conversations for many years. Like, to me, that is like... The days are... I mean, because we live in a place where it is cold and dark right now. And like, you know, the days really are going to get longer and like spring really will come back and like we like candles and we like talk about that and like you know the axial tilt of the earth (laughs) and you know we like have a celebration absolutely yes and so with santa like as i said like helena's five and she like we haven't ever done santa but he's just like I mean, he's everywhere. And like, you know, it would be like, I think the first year it was like we had come off of Halloween and she had a lot of questions about like, we'd see people in costume and like, are they 
real? Like, is that really a witch, for example? It's like, no, 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 like, nothing to worry about. No, it's just someone dressed up. And, like, how cool. And, like, Halloween is about, like, our feelings about being scared and, like, all these, you know, all this iconography that we, like, do around Halloween. It's not a real spider. It's not a real spider. That's as big as a house. A spider couldn't be that big, you know? And you're, like, constantly, like, reassuring and, like, giving them, like, this sense of reality. And then Christmas rolls around or, like, you know, basically Thanksgiving when you start to see the Christmas stuff. And um, Santa, and and she would say, she when she was really little, she called him Santa. I'm not sure why, but she thought he was Santa, (laughs) which I just loved. And so we would talk about Santa. I never, you know, it was just like, that's a symbol around Christmas. And so now she's in kindergarten and Santa is like a big topic of conversation. I'm not going to like do the like crumbs and the cookies and the stuff like that, but I don't want her to be the spoiler necessarily. So what I've been saying to her is like, it's really important to other people. And so we don't, I'm like, just trying to like walk this line, but you have to decide for yourself kind of a thing. She, she's trying out a lot of different things to see what reaction she gets. But the other day, she's like, I believe in Santa. And so it's amazing to me, A, that children can get so much from their friends, even at this age where they, it's like forms their belief. But what would you yeah. suggest to me in my parenting, like, what should I tell her not to say? Or what should I, how can I explain it to her in a way where she's not going to spoil it and be like a pariah in kindergarten? Okay. Let me talk this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out together. We'll figure it out together. I have personally have never seen Santa. But I know that Santa is, the idea of Santa is all about believing. And so if you have peers in your school that believe in somebody, then that's their belief. And that is their choice. Yeah. I've sort of gone the other way, which is I see him everywhere. He's at every mall. He's <laughs> everywhere, but I don't think it's the same guy. Like, it's actually <laughs> impossible for him to be in two malls at once. If yes. you really think about it, yeah. like, he's a liar. <laughs> I'm just suspicious because every time I see him, he's a different height. <laughs> you know, I do think that there has to be something primal within us humans that we are connected to, as you said, symbols, characters, stories, stories. I am deathly afraid. I'm afraid of one thing, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I'm deathly afraid. And actually last Halloween, by the way, I know it's Robert England. Yeah. Um, I've done a Wes Craven movie at this point. Like, yes. like I have like met these people. It is all the curtain has been yes. lifted. The Wizard of Oz is, but, but that is who I'm scared of. Yeah. And and it's not going away. And actually, last year, I love horror movies. I am obsessed. Yeah. October is the time. I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love all of these monstrous characters that come and kill you. I go to Halloween Horror Nights every year, and they chase me with uh, chainsaws. And I know that they're actors. Yeah. But, like, I like it. It just takes me to this other place of a fantasy. Last year, I watched, I watched Nightmare. It's only Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1. But I was like, I was like, I'm going to rewatch it. And I watched it in the day and I only got halfway through. And I was like, you know what? It's actually too real for me. And I just can't. Yeah. I am afraid that if I go downstairs in the middle of the night, here's where Freddy Krueger gets you. I know we're going off topic. No, but but this is great. Let me me tell you what it is about him. 
is that he actually comes to you in your dreams and dreams are very real, real for me. I wake up in the morning and sometimes it takes, I got to like, yeah, you know, unload for five minutes and then I can go into the, I can go into my real life. But there is a part of me definitely that feels like I could be going downstairs and getting water and think that I'm awake and I'm actually asleep and that he's coming. And, um, my dreams are very real to me. And also your, the idea that you can't control your dreams. I mean, that's so scary, right? You that's dreams, You have no, you know? nothing you can do, but it's yeah, so funny that here are these two stories, uh, both about strange men coming into your house and it's like Santa and Freddy Krueger and one story you love and one is like love. the most scary thing. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's so amazing about Santa is it's kind of this conspiracy that like all the adults are getting together and really creating a conspiracy for the children. And I think there's something so fascinating about how skeptical we naturally are as children. And like when we start to piece things together, even though there's all this information around you that's telling you there's this gift-giving person with reindeer who's going to come around, there is some part of your brain that's like well, let's just double check all the information we have. Maybe there's something really valuable about creating something like that so that kids do question and start to think, maybe I can't just take everyone at their word, you know, because at some point, whether your mother is willing to admit it or not, or you being the mom in the story, like, you know, you start to put the pieces together. Yeah, you know, and I think that there is also um, value to, like you said, Every parent in the world is trying to bring their kids joy, right? There is something that feels like you are a part of something bigger, whether you believe in Santa or Hanukkah Harry or nobody or, you know, whatever I do. I can probably guarantee that every parent on the planet is focused on how do I bring my kid joy? We only get a few times where everybody cares about one thing. Mm, that's such a good point. The idea of everybody caring about one thing. I mean, it's kind of makes me think of like another thing that I'm not into that everyone else is into. It kind of makes me think of sports. You know what I mean? It's like when everybody is yeah. like on the same page about something. Yeah. Yeah. They go to a sports bar and you just feel all the energy. I mean, per I'm the same as you. I walk in there and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't care. Same. <laughs> Yeah. But I, it's true. That's why people care about sports. And like, listen, I definitely go to a Dodger game and whether I'm following the game or not, I love being a part of that, of that community. I love all the passion around me and how everyone's like just focused on it. And, you know, I do think that that's really important for us as human beings. I think so too. And I think you're, I think it's like when you're talking about what we try to give our kids, it's like that joy, but also the wonder of like, when you hear that little gasp, when, you know, they see something they're not expecting, or you're just any surprise and they're like, <gasps> you know, that wide eyed look like that is so that wonder and awe. I'm so, so on the same page in terms of like trying to create that in different ways. And, you know, ideally throughout the year and in all sorts of different ways, there is something about that. And it's true. It's like, it's almost like Santa is for so many people. That is the tried and true way to create wide eyes, open mouth, like, oh my goodness, I wasn't expecting this. Well, like what is it about us that gravitates towards twinkle lights? Like, 
I don't know what that is, but everybody loves twinkle lights, right? When you compare a Christmas to, let's say, an Easter, Christmas is really the time where, and maybe because it does get dark early, everybody, it's just this universal gasp. <gasps> oh my God, the lights, the snow. There is something about us. It's just magical. And I, and I do think that Santa is the, or you know, the idea of Christmas, Santa is the true epitome of that. I think we like twinkle lights because it reminds us of looking up at the night sky and looking at the stars. Yes. And the Milky Way. And I think that that's like so ancient. And like that idea of like imagine like, a, you know, pitch black darkness, no city lights, no nothing, you know, except for maybe a fire. And it's cloudy and the clouds part. And all of a sudden you can see the stars. Like how how breathtaking that would be. And it's like we try to recreate these things in all these different ways. And like the night sky, I really think that, you know, we spend so much less time with the night sky than our ancestors did. But there is this connection. And I really think the twinkling lights is, is about that. And that, again, that is us as human beings looking up. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you talk about Santa and the reindeer and he's flying through the sky, like, again, that's us looking up, looking up for something. There is something primal in us that is like, you know, wanting to understand our place in the fabric of the universe that, you know, really does come out in different ways, whether it's Santa or twinkle lights or whatever. When I'm the most at peace is when I am standing at night, looking up, mm. looking at the stars. Next, I get to talk to Dr. Rowan Capitan, who is a researcher and experimental psychologist who studies ritual and supernatural beliefs. The Santa that, to me, growing up in the United States as a non-Christmas celebrator, but a person who's in a culture where there is Santa everywhere, like, is the guy I'm picturing American? Well, yeah, I mean, you're American and, and we're all products of our culture. But I think there's this really fascinating dimension of Santa that he's an egregore. It's an object of belief which becomes real through belief. And so the kind of Santa you're picturing is the product of a lot of minds, children, adults, and, and the vast conspiracy these adults and even brands uh, propagate to create this big, fat, red, jolly man. It makes me think of Tinkerbell, you know, where it's like, if you don't believe in her, she disappears. How? Okay, so when you say corporations, I mean, is it Coca-Cola specifically or just every ad you see in December that that seems to play into this story? Well, the iconography is really interesting. Um, there's certainly a, a really coherent sense of what Santa looks like. Um, he's He's dressed in a particular way. He has facial hair. He sounds a certain way. He says certain things. Um, and, and while the branding is probably quite powerful, um, I, I think what's far more uh, interesting is the way uh, parents and even older children all kind of act together to, to propagate the consistency of the thing. And we really don't see anything else like that. If I asked you to picture what the tooth fairy looked like, you brought up yeah. Tinkerbell or, or the Easter bunny. Like if you tried to Google what the Easter bunny looks like, there is no coherence on the internet. Even though the home I grew up in had this real emphasis on things being evidence-based, we also had this sort of sense of like, I mean, my parents did do the tooth fairy. Like I did put 
I mean, it's so weird. We'll do another episode on this. A tooth, a dead tooth that fell out of my mouth under my pillow and get like, you know, 50 cents or whatever. But there's not this tension in the culture about like no child must know that the tooth fairy is not real or that the Easter bunny is not real before they figure it out for themselves or before they're old enough. You know, it's such a different thing in terms of like the anxiety around accidentally spoiling it for someone or a child like this coming of age moment where they realize it's it that Santa is um you know, imaginary. What is it about these characters and how are they different? Yeah, I I think there's, you touched on some really interesting things there and, and approaching their similarities first might be more fruitful. So you, you talked about coming of age, like Santa, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, they all serve different yeah. social purposes. Um, I mean, the the Tooth Fairy, we, we put a dead piece of our body under our pillow. Um, but there's a really interesting thing that happens there. Like even in j- tooth rituals for children appear in cultures all over the world. In Japan, you're supposed yeah. to take them outside and throw them on the roof for good luck. Um, and so it's not so much about the object of belief here, which would be a, a magical little organ stealing fairy, um, but about a, a child's transition through life stages. Santa's a bit different because there's a lot of values, doctrine tied up into what Santa is. It does kind of, there is overlap with Christianity, of course, but um, children do have a belief that they should be nice and not naughty. Um, what that means to children, we actually don't have a clear understanding, but children do know that's part of the doctrine. Yes, and it's so fascinating the way the way Santa is almost. I mean, I don't want to say like weaponized, but it's he's used as this tool to keep children in line as the late fall comes. I mean, I don't know. Do people say in July, like, don't shove your brother because you'll be on the naughty list? I don't think so. Like, it's, it's be, very seasonal. That's that's a certain kind of parent. Uh, I won't say they don't exist, but I, I don't know any. We, we're actually doing research at the moment, and we actually have found um, that parents do weaponize Santa quite a lot um, in response to their children's behavior. Um, and, and, and we're finding um, potentially that it is actually making them behave better. Um, kids, kids, particularly kids up to about seven and a half, which is where children ten, tend to lose belief, um, there seems to be a, a short half-life of that effect. Don't, don't hit your sister, share with your little brother. Um, it, does, it does seem to make a small difference. So, I mean... We say, like, they lose belief at seven and a half, but what they really gain is, like, an exercise in critical thinking and, like, how they piece together the clues. Like, what does it say about how we develop skepticism and how we develop the tools to question at that age when when all of a sudden this stops adding up? Yeah, that's... Parents often ask me, you know, how should I break it to my child or how should I respond? I used to be fully committed to this. Like it is a lesson in, in skepticism. It is a lesson in critical thinking. And it certainly is. But that doesn't address the fact that mom and dad have been lying to you for seven years, right? Right. So there's this really interesting um, opportunity, I think, for parents to kind of um, bring those children at the ages of seven or eight into the, the big kids club. Let them sit at the adults table on this one and go, you're right. We were doing this. We did play a trick on you, but we wanted you to feel special. And now it's your job to make sure your little sister believes in Santa as well. Um, and so there's, it's not just about critical thinking, although I think a, a parent 
could spin that and, and make that a valuable teachable moment. There is an opportunity to really create a, a sense of community and a sense of passing on the tradition here, um, which can also be, uh, we can use these supernatural ritualistic events to also pass on community and skepticism. That's really interesting. It's funny because, right, there is sort of a religious element of it. It's Christmas, but it takes on this totally other cultural um, place, almost like the Tooth Fairy, who, as far as I can tell, is secular. Are there other characters in other cultures that are not deities, the way that Santa is not, that still there is this, as you said, this conspiracy among the adults to convince the children that someone exists who does not exist. Yeah, that's really complex. So in the West, we tend to monotheism. We have this big right. uber god. But in other countries, um, if we take the continent of Africa and the countries therein, or we yep. look at Japan or Korea, there's a, a there's a much more diverse pantheon where those deities or those agents within it have much more limited domain, whether it's moral, whether mm. it's social. And in those places, um, often these these agents and these deities, um, they're not strictly believed in in the same way, but and they're not strictly used by adults in the same way. They're often more explicitly a cautionary tale. Don't go into the forest unprepared or the, the such and such will... Um, cause you mischief um whereas we kind of are all or nothing in the west be not be nice yeah. and not naughty he's watching you while you sleep while you're on the toilet don't ever do anything <laughs> wrong or he's gonna bring you coal and and we're lucky because if we were in like spain or turkey he's gonna put us in a bag and kick us to death or something right so oh that's uh, worse santa's santa's pretty creepy um outside of the outside of the u.s and australia and, and new zealand and so on I would argue he's pretty creepy here too. I just, as a, I mean, sneaking into your house while you're sleeping—that's makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and we also we're, we're also we try to teach our children concepts of charity and empathy, but yeah. Santa is a black and white moral arbiter. He's he's making decisions yeah. about your your soul's worth, and then rewarding people based on that, ostensibly based on that. Uh, so yeah, it's it's th- and rewarding a lot- them with. There's certainly a lot creepy about Santa creeping in, watching you, judging you. That's that's not someone we'd uh, want in our lives under any other circumstances. Right. And you're so right. He's judging you on these moral bases and then rewarding you with material goods. It's very interesting what that says about us. So in non-monotheistic cultures or even in ancient, you know, Greek or Roman polytheism where there's the god of wheat and of war and all these, you know, specific things. It's really interesting imagining Santa as like part of that pantheon and imagining the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy and these other characters as having these little micro domains. He's more powerful yeah. than most of them. I often try to be quite careful when I'm drawing lines between Santa and um, mainstream religion. But if we look at the superficial features about omnipotence, omnipresence, the capacity and the authority to commit moral judgment, at least to children, in many ways, Santa is a more believable supernatural agent because the presents show up. Uh, whether a child is committed to Jesus or Allah or, or, or choose your faith, um, you know, Santa delivers, literally. So yeah. um, he's a very powerful God, almost. So, okay, 
from your position as a researcher, like what is the deepest philosophical, sociological question about Santa? Like what is it about him that interests you or about these kinds of characters in our cultures? So I'm really interested in reality beliefs, how we understand the universe we're in. And as adults, we have very concrete beliefs we don't tend to question too often. Germs right. are real. Dinosaurs are real. Aliens might be real, depending on your disposition. We, don't, we underestimate how challenging it is for a child to figure out why dinosaurs are real and dragons aren't. Or oh. why Santa is real and whether or not Jesus or God or Allah is real. Kids are constantly weighing these things, determining who's speaking to them. Is this person reliable? Is this person got a history of being right or tricking me? Or even is this person mean? Kids don't like listening to mean people. And so mm. looking at children and their belief in Santa Claus is a really um, pragmatic way of looking at how reality beliefs develop, uh, particularly the big beliefs. Like, is this a just universe? Is this a universe where my morality is rewarded? Is this a universe where a man can traverse the globe in, in 12 hours? Um, and and uh, it's very difficult to experimentally manipulate this for ethical reasons, but Santa provides a... It sounds like a toy problem. It sounds silly, but actually it's a really unique inroads into a very complex problem that, that will inform how we understand how adults understand the reality of things in their universe, including high gods. As a parent, two of the things I most hope to instill in my little ones are wonder and skepticism. Are they in conflict, these two values? Can I give them both? It's a lot of what I think about as a mother and as a human. I do believe there is enough awe-inspiring beauty in our universe as revealed by science to make for a lifetime of oohs and ahs. But presenting the experiences of life on Earth to children in a way that feels magical takes some work. All those delightful surprises don't just happen. The idea that we are so committed to making magic for little children that we even get NORAD involved really says how much it means to us. And sometimes the tried and true approach does the trick best. But I suspect the oldest, the most tried and true source of awe and wonder is something more like an unexpected shooting star crossing the night sky. Something to think about next time you're up in the attic untangling those twinkle lights. Thank you so much to Dr. Rowan Capitan for your insights on Santa today and to my dear friend Nicole Ritchie, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter and who makes beautiful jewelry at House of Harlow. Join me next time on Strange Customs when my guests will be actors Katie Lowe's and Adam Shapiro. We'll talk about a ritual they did together. Maybe you've done it too. When you spell it out, like in only the way that Sasha Sagan can, you're like, what are we? This is crazy. Our theme music is by Evgeny Klemenko. Additional music in this episode by Spear Fisher and Blue Dot Sessions. My producer is Dale McGowan. Strange Customs is a production of Only Sky Media. 
Visit us online at onlysky.media slash strangecustoms. Tune in next time for more Strange Customs.